0: All of our basic needs have been met. So now we're in this consumerist society where the bar just keeps going up and we need more and more and more to be satisfied. It's like an addiction. We're not meant to buy one pair of jeans and then be satisfied. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like That's not the point. And the same applies to this self-improvement craze or the optimization craze. We're being sold on the need to upgrade all parts of ourselves all at once, including parts we didn't know needed <laughs> upgrading. Yeah. So there's a great deal of money to be made by those who diagnose and treat our fears of inadequacy. Welcome to the Real Talk Podcast from Real FM. Here's Anson, Kara, and Isaac. Hello and welcome to Real Talk. It is season six, episode two. And Real Talk is a show where we get real about everything from current events to culture to faith. And we do that together as me, Kara, and then Anson and Isaac. Hello. 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 <laughs> So here's what's coming up on the show today. We're going to start off with the struggle bus where Isaac is going to be telling us about the struggle that we all have. At least I also have of regular church attendance talking about how that's hard. Anson's going to be filling us in on how awesome the Good Place finale was Mm. without (laughs) without too many spoilers. There
1: were so many tears, guys. So many tears.
0: Oh, I'm not prepared for this. Okay, I'm a few episodes behind, but I'm coming that way. And then I had a chance to sit down and talk with Elizabeth Grace. And she is tons of fun. You guys going to be sharing a little bit about how she got into music and also some fun little behind the scenes, what her guilty pleasure is. I think you guys will enjoy this conversation. And then finally, the conversation today is about optimization obsession. I ran across this article a couple of weeks ago. And as I read it, it was like a ton of bricks hit me. Mm. (laughs) I was like, yes, this is one of my biggest struggles Mm. in life. What is it? Optimization obsession is this sense that there is an ideal life out there and it's one that you're always on the brink of attaining, Mm -hmm. but always falling sadly short of like you're almost there. You just need one more product, one more routine, one more book, and it's going to be okay. You're going to be fully optimized. And yet it seems like it's constantly out of reach for good reason.
1: Yeah, it feels like that like closeness to it is part of what keeps us coming back. It's like it's almost within my grasp and it continually slips away.
0: Exactly. So we're going to be talking about that and how do we differentiate optimization from growth? How do we approach this in a healthy way as it's become absolutely an obsession in our culture today?
2: It is my turn on the struggle bus this week. I am struggling with going to church. Mm-hmm. Fair. Um, it feels like ever since I was old enough to remember waking up on Sunday morning way too early putting on clothes that were itchy and uncomfortable uh my khakis that i hated that always felt weird because i couldn't Uh, run and play outside in them and then my weird clunky church shoes i have never enjoyed in my 26 years of life Mm -hmm. i've never enjoyed the routine of sunday morning of getting up and combing my hair i have messy hair on this podcast recording (laughs) it's kind of my i don't like touching my head so i don't (laughs) I've We're never have to talk about that one later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I've never enjoyed the process of getting dressed up to go somewhere and like sit for an hour. Yes. Generally the time where I stopped getting candy from my grandma for going, was when I was like <laughs> hard, why am I doing this? I um, already have so many ideas for how we could motivate I you know, to go yeah, the this church. Is <laughs> you can wear jeans, you don't have to comb your hair. I'll even give you a piece of candy every Sunday. <laughs> but really, I mean, and I have always grown up in faith, so this has never been like a a conversion point for me it's always been i know jesus loves me i am in the club i get it church attendance has always felt like the requirement thing and mm-hmm. i naturally buck against requirements mm-hmm. of things you know oh, so yeah. it's always this this tug of war of i need to go and do this because i'll feel guilty if i don't and then i'm like mm-hmm. well why am i letting guilt motivate me when i'm Made whole in Christ and it's fine. So, (laughs) And I just wrestle with this, you guys. And my wife and I are regularly in the way that we regularly do things going to a church where it's we normally make about two Sundays in a row, take a Sunday off, then start the process over again, which is just hard because it's this weird battle of we wake up on Sunday. Our weekend has been packed. We look at Mm -hmm. each other and we kind of have this game of like it's getting closer to 1115 and we're like walking is around someone, the house like say we're gonna go Oh, really like church and then, <laughs> then around 11 15 we're like ah, uh, let's just rest today and then <laughs> it starts all over again <laughs> the next week mm. and i don't know why this is so hard for me we both grew up in different subsets of christianity mine was the more charismatic version hers was like the very big southern baptist mega church sort of thing we both have different things that we don't like about that and that we like about that but mm. It just seems like there is not one place where we can find that we look forward to it. Yeah. And I don't like I don't know if I am alone on an island in that. No. But I even like all of the people individually. That I go to church with at my church. (laughs) Yeah. I just don't like setting aside time once a week to do it. I don't know why. I was going to
1: ask you. So when you do go, Mm -hmm. how do you feel
2: right afterwards? I'm always so happy that I did it. Okay. I'm always so happy that I did it. But there's just this tense anxiety of walking up to the door of Mm. uh, church. And then I don't know what it is because... I didn't have like a big traumatic experience growing up in church. People would shout randomly at church, but it was a charismatic (laughs) church. So whatever that says, okay. I don't know what we're yelling about. It's going to a quiet little small church that like maybe Mm. 20 other people are at every Sunday. I don't know why my social anxiety kicks up as I'm walking to the door, but it does. You can ask Bree. I like clam up and I get sweaty. Mm-hmm. And we go in and sit down and I just, mm-hmm. I even like the rector at the church. I, I've i had a drink with him last week. He's Aww. a cool guy. There's just something about church, capital C, mm-hmm. that this person who's grown up in it, I, I can't figure out a good groove with it. I don't know why.
0: Yeah. I struggle with this a lot and I've struggled with it in different seasons for different reasons. I... Did go through a little bit of a traumatic church experience. And so after that, there was this like, okay, church feels unsafe. Mm. I had to go to something that felt completely different. So like a Saturday night service is what I ended up for a while. Yeah, Back to Sunday morning now. But even now, having grown through some of that, my husband and I really struggle and have been lately in the same boat as you are like, oh... It's been a full weekend. We're really tired. Yeah. We should rest mm-hmm. and connect with Jesus one-on-one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: that's
0: always the fun. Yeah, like, you can always uh, come up with a, a good a
1: reason good to do it. Yeah, right? yeah. But, yeah. yeah.
0: So we've uh, we've been struggling with that a lot lately as well. And we made it this weekend. And, and you're right; it feels good. And when I go, I'm like, wow, this is, this is really profound. And like, this is really good yeah. stuff to say. But getting there is. It's almost like working out. It's this weird, like I don't want to yeah. do that. That's what I was
1: going to draw the comparison to. I I feel like I'm in a little bit of a different boat than you guys on this one, yeah. primarily just because my wife has been on staff at a church uh, ever yeah. since I've been married. Yeah. So it's part of her job to attend church, yeah. and therefore we don't miss church. Like, yeah. Because we can't. Yeah. Uh, right. And so the excuses on a Sunday morning are removed from the equation. There cannot be an excuse if she wants to keep her job. Same reason why you show up to work on most Monday mornings instead of laying in bed going, yeah, I don't really feel it today. If you didn't have to... How many days a week would you actually come into work? Exactly. Oh, boy. You know, (laughs) this is a
2: recording. So I'm going to say, Anson, that's ridiculous. I would always be here every day. I mean, like if we knew that there weren't
1: those types of consequences or, well, I could just work from home or my boss won't really care. Like, Mm -hmm. I think we would come up with reasons not to do a lot of things. And so I I definitely relate to you guys, though, in the sense of this feeling as it applies to other areas of my life. Like, I think working out is a really good example. And, And that's why I asked you the question, Isaac, of like, how do you feel? Right afterwards, because if you're going to church and afterwards you're going like, man, I really I'm glad that's over. I really didn't want to be here. Yeah. Mm. Like that's one thing. And I think that could indicate a different set of problems Mm. versus leaving church going, man, I'm really glad I came this morning. Yeah. But the next Sunday you're having a hard time getting out of bed or getting out the door again. I would definitely relate the second one to exercise where you exercise and at the end of it, you go, man, that was really invigorating. That was really good for me. I can tell this is something that I need to be doing, Yeah, Yeah. but it's really hard to get started. At that point, it's more about figuring out, okay, how can I set myself up for success in terms of creating good habits? As opposed to, hey, there may actually be some sort of unhealthy thing going Mm. on here that I need to figure out what is at the root of it.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like for me, there was a time where I had to do a lot of counseling around it because there were deeper things going on besides the surface level. But I feel like now it's more of a point of like oh, we're tired and yeah. it's just been a long weekend and I just don't want right. to. <laughs> that's that's
2: kind of where I'm at. It's it's more rooted in just like, it's a good thing for me. Also, my couch is so yes. comfortable. Mm-hmm. And true. It's true. It's almost if I was given a pass of, hey, you never have to go to church again. I would probably be more likely to just be like, I'll oh, just do it anyway. And then like, I would weirdly like <laughs> click into this mode of, yeah, oh, well, I'm just going to do it. But I think that I have this weird natural, like, well, you can tell me what to do kind of thing yeah. where it's, My parents, Bree's parents, it's always been like a we're doing it because we got to do it. This is like an
0: ultimatum almost. Growing
2: up, Sunday mornings were stressful because it was Mm. just this vibe of. Well, I know we all would rather be home, but we got to go. And then that's just like a weird thing now. Yeah. Right. I, I think yeah. it has to come
1: back to eventually. Hopefully you kind of start to get and you're not going to feel it every Sunday. And I'm not trying yeah. to turn this into like a legalistic thing. No. But like you want to get to that point where at times at least you're feeling like I want to go to church because I want to worship God. Not because anyone's telling me I have to go or because yeah. my parents will be disappointed in me if I don't. right? Or like, But because worshiping God is something that I want to do with others, right. you know that could just make us feel all the more guilty when we don't feel that. And that's not my intention at all. (laughs) No, that gets you though. This is something that would motivate me and might help some people, whether it would help you or backfire. I don't know. So if it would backfire, feel free to ignore. One thing that I think would help me if I was in your situation would be to volunteer for something or to find Mm -hmm. some way Mm -hmm. to actually contribute to the church. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is something that we miss a lot when it comes to church. Sometimes when we just go through the motions of, Hi, how are you? Greeting time. Sit down, stand up, worship, leave. Yeah. Like it yeah. gets hard to create this like connection that draws us back every yeah. single week. Yeah. But if you find a way to serve and contribute to the body, now all of a sudden you have responsibility. So you go, well, hey, I'm I'm supposed to be doing this this morning, yeah. so I better go, or they're gonna miss me not being there. Right. like I'm a contributing member of my body, mm. and there's like kind of some expectations around. Me being there, hopefully not in a bad, like guilty way, right. but in a positive way of like, hmm. I'm a contributing member of this group. You need and, some skin in the game. And I need yeah. to be there because right. I'm I'm a hmm. part of what we're doing. I'm not right. just a, a bystander or a spectator. Yeah. I'm a participant yeah. in what's happening. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so Good figuring point. out a way to volunteer for something, yeah. whether that's being a greeter at your church or serving during the service in some way or bringing food to the potluck afterwards or whatever it is i think yeah. you're
2: dead on because you know me i can't be just a passive participant like i yeah. there's there's nothing that i'm involved in that i don't like so <laughs> I, I can totally see that so yeah, yeah. yeah. so that, that would be my suggestion is serve in
1: the children's area one even not every week but find some way that you can contribute to yeah. your body yeah. that creates this expectation of like wow i, I want to be there because i'm a part mm. of what's happening like in my that. church yeah, yeah. It is time for Good Vibes, which is where we share something that happened this week or something we saw or experienced that really made us happy. And it's my turn to share something that made me happy this week. And I've got to tell you the thing that made me happy and also kind of a little bit sad, but in a roundabout way, sadness makes me happy, which is a whole other thing. (laughs) The Good Place finale, who I watched this last week. Oh, man. And I've shared before on this show that the Good Place may be. I'm just going to go ahead and say that it is. My favorite TV show of the last several years that I have watched, period. Big deal. I love this show (laughs) and I love how it ended. And that's a rare thing for a TV show. There's not a lot of shows that I've watched where I can say I love how this ended. And I'm going to try to avoid giving any spoilers because I know a lot of people are still in process of watching this. You guys haven't seen the finale. So I'm not necessarily going to talk specifically about what happened. More just about the show as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The reason that I love the show is right down to the finale. We are still simultaneously making jokes about the Jacksonville Jaguars
0: <laughs> while
1: also pondering the great philosophical questions of life. Yes. And there are very few shows that I have watched that managed to do both of those things so well. Yeah. And at the same time. Yep. And that's what I love about the show is it's a comedy much in the vein of some of these other shows from Michael Schur that I love, yeah. like The Office, like Parks and Recreation, yes. like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And yet it has this like layer of depth to it where at the end of this finale, my wife and I have alternatingly laughed and cried through a ninety-minute show, oh, and not just because of like the heartstring stuff that you might get, like at the end of uh, Parks and Recreation or yeah. The Office when you are saying goodbye to your favorite characters, mm-hmm. but also because they're pondering like these great questions of life. Mm. And my wife and I ended up sitting in bed when we probably should have been sleeping, <laughs> discussing yeah. these questions and the afterlife and the implications for our own worldview and what wow. we th- like. It just it makes you. Think yeah. yeah, and it makes you laugh, and I I really love that combination. I feel like there's not a lot of shows that I've watched that really get that right.
0: No, that's very very true. It's it is really really well done.
2: Do you have any standout characters like at this stage <laughs> now knowing how everything ends? Like, do you have maybe a favorite character to yeah, be kind of? I'm excited
1: for you guys to watch the ending and see what happens to Jason.
2: Oh, oh really? Jason
1: is a really fun character to kind of watch his arc and. Because the show stays true to its characters. Yeah. So yeah. Jason at the end is still who Jason is. Okay. Like he has not turned into Yu, the monk, right yeah, from the yeah. beginning. He's still Jason. And yet he has very clearly evolved yeah. in the same way the other characters have evolved, but at a pace that feels appropriately Jason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Somehow fun. this show, which involves... This crazy dude who killed himself by locking himself in a safe (laughs) in Jacksonville, Florida. I love Jason. Ends up as a lifelong partner to a not a robot, not a person construct that knows all things (sighs) about all times. And they manage to have this like happy eternal existence together. Yes. And so they make true. it work. They sell it like they make it work. Yeah. Like, I don't know how
2: they did that exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's impressive. The it Jason Janet relationship reminds me of my relationship with Brie in a lot of <laughs> ways where it's like this wonderful, profound woman has chosen oh, that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Not trying to score points here. I really mean this. That's awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> That's cool. The other thing that I will say that I really appreciated about it is that this is a show that clearly they wrote the show with the end in mind. Yeah, mm. And so this isn't one of those shows, which is my least favorite thing about most television, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. is that there's no plan. Shout out to yeah. Lost. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you, you start with this like great concept, yeah. but then you don't have a plan because you don't know how many seasons you're going to go. Yes. Right. Oh, we can milk this thing for five, six, seven, eight, twelve, twenty seasons. Yeah. yeah, And then eventually oh, now we need to figure out a way to wrap up the story in yes. a way that feels fulfilling to the people who have invested so much in these characters. Uh, That's almost an impossible task, right? But The Good Place is four seasons. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. Yep. And the narrative arc of it beats out so many other shows that yeah. I've watched and yeah. so it's one of those shows where I promise you're not going to get to the end of it and go like really they just ended it like that Ooh, you know like yeah. wh- what were they doing I wish they would have like that doesn't make any sense it's clearly planned out there may be things that you know you might have a bone to pick with it somewhere yeah but it, at the very least is well thought out and well constructed yeah and I always appreciate that in a TV show watch The Good Place <laughs> so
3: I just wanna love myself I just wanna I just wanna love-
0: Today, I am going on the record with Elizabeth Grace, a brand new artist on Real FM that you may recognize from her two singles, Like Myself and Real Friends. We're excited to introduce you to her and help you get to know her a little better. Elizabeth, I would just love to know a little bit about you and your history with music and how you kind of came to be where you are and just, yeah, hear a little bit of your story.
3: So I am currently 20 years old from Birmingham, Alabama. I've been born and raised here. I actually didn't start doing music like writing or anything until two years ago. Wow. Um, And that's whenever I also released my song and stuff. So that was like the first song I'd ever written. Wow.
0: (laughs) That's a big deal. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Um, music is a really big part of my story because I feel like it was kind of a make or break thing for me whenever I was in my younger teens. When I was like 15 or 16. I was really going through um, a struggle with my relationship with God and how I felt about being a Christian and stuff. And I think I was at the point of basically being pretty much like agnostic um, just because I was a really angry person and I've always struggled with um, depression
0: mm-hmm.
3: and I just couldn't understand like why would a, like a loving God let me go through that kind of feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. But I feel like at that time, what would have been good for me, because music has always been like an outlet for me, because I played piano and I've always liked to sing, but I actually didn't think that I was a very good singer
2: um,
3: at that time. I feel like if I had had the music that I'm making, that would have helped me a lot. Like My whole goal is to reach people who are like me whenever I was 16, basically to make a song with very up to date. Sounds, um,
2: mm-hmm. but
3: with lyrics that can help. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. not just like, oh, I'm depressed, and leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, my like biggest like influence at the time was like Halsey because she was the really big like edgy mm. uh, pop artist. When was that? Like 2015. I which yeah. she's still a big deal, but just kind of like she's changed a little bit now. Billie Eilish is kind of like yeah, <laughs> yeah is the generation. thing. So that's mm. the kind of music that I would cling to just because it sounded good. And Christian music to me was just in my. Like preference at the time. I just thought that it was cheesy. Like, I just didn't like it. There's nothing about it that I liked. So that's kind of just like my, my start in music. And then my current manager, Ray, he actually goes to church with me. He started a music ministry at my church. So yeah, Ray just kind of asked me, it's like, Hey, I'm starting a songwriting ministry. Would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, sure. I love music. And that was like me during the time I was trying to come out of that acceptance of like, I'm just depressed and that's Mm. it. Like, I was like, okay, there's gotta be something more to life than just this. Mm. Um, and I really started to try to connect with God and find out what who He is for myself instead of like piggybacking my experience of God off of my parents and off of my family and friends. I started going to that ministry, and he actually had no idea that I could like sing. Yeah. Sing. <laughs> <laughs> I just did like kind of backup things with our church. He was just like, man, I really think that you're really talented. And the rest of his history yes wow. be my manager and then we went from there so that's cool wow what an interesting story
0: yeah cuz you're right yeah. like a lot of people do start from an early age but it's kind of cool that it it came to you a little bit later and at a time that you really needed it I want to talk a little bit about your song, Like Myself, that's done really, really well yeah. um, and reached a lot of people. It's a song that I think a lot of us can really identify with, especially as women. And I was listening yeah. to the words a little more closely the other day. And the ones that really grabbed me were, do I measure up? Tell me, is there something I'm missing? I'm losing this fight. I can't get it right. And I was like, yep, <laughs> that's you yeah. summed up the struggle right there pretty completely. Yes. And I'm just curious, yes. this is like a random like question that came to me earlier today. When is the first time you remember feeling that sense of like, I don't measure up?
3: Oh man, probably whenever I was like 13. Mm-hmm. Um, I always struggled with how I looked. My mom's side of my family is, is Italian. So mm-hmm. we kind of have bigger noses. <laughs> so, like that was something that I was really insecure about because my, my nose is so big for my face. Aww. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, I'm so ugly. That's just how, like, anytime I would look in the mirror, I just I just, genuinely hated myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just nitpick things, and I would just constantly stare at myself and just be like, this isn't good enough, and that's not good enough. And I'm not measuring up in what I'm seeing in these women on the magazines and seeing with these women on Instagram and all over these social media sites. Like, I'm just not as pretty as they are. And that was the first time in, like, looks aspect. And then whenever I was around 14 or 15, and I was kind of going through my, like, rebellious stage as a teenager, um... Mm-hmm. You know, not doing everything the way that I was taught made me realize, and people were disappointed in me and upset with me. And there were still things, even whenever I was trying to, quote unquote, be good or whatever, that you weren't happy with. So, no matter what I do, nobody's going to be happy with me. Mm. And, that's just where I was. yeah. Um, and so through maturity, I kind of realized, okay, not everybody's going to be happy with me all the time, but the people I care about, you know, I don't want to disappoint them. But at the end of the day, I need to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do for myself. R- really, at the end of the day, it just matters what God thinks of me.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. so, That's um, a hard one to learn. It's a lifelong lesson <laughs>
3: for a yes, lot of us. Yes, for sure. And sometimes <laughs> you can still very easily forget that. <laughs> mm,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know. So what's one practical thing that you've found that helps you kind of get out of that place of I'm not enough, I'm not doing it right. When you start to go down that spiral, what's one practical thing you found that that's helpful?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Um, Honestly, realizing that I can't control everything. I'm very nitpicky and I'm a very big perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And so like having to deal with situations that don't go the way that I plan them to, Mm -hmm. I think just through realizing, you know, this isn't in my hands. This is in God's hands and whichever way ends up going. I've been trying to um, keep my relationship with God as real as I can. And I have to learn to give that trust to him Mm. and not trust in myself. Question about your
0: song, Real Friends. We just started playing it. We all know that making friends as a grown-up is hard. <laughs> yes. So sure. I'm I'm curious about the story behind your song "Real Friends."
3: Oh, uh, you know, oof, the ones that kind of hurt a little bit. Yes. Um, I had a friend group, and I grew up with them. They were all like friends from whenever I was little. Yeah. And we all went to church together. And eventually, you know, when you grow up, you might just grow in different directions. You mm-hmm. know. Yep. It just became it just became a very toxic. relationship, just not what I was looking for in a friendship. But I, because that was my only friend group that I'd had my whole life, I was like, I guess this is just what it's like.
0: Like, Mm, And I just
3: accustomed myself to that. Yeah. But eventually I was like, okay, I can't do this. And I just stepped back and I cut it off. I mean, I still very much love those people and I want really good things for them, but it's just, Mm -hmm. it wasn't healthy for me. And I felt selfish almost, but like Mm. looking back, it wasn't healthy for any of us, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I just needed that alone time to grow. And I feel like once I stepped back, it really broke my heart for a minute, but I kind of realized who I was and what I wanted. And I found friends that really just... They're like my best friends in the whole world. They treat me so well. Mm. And I never knew that that's what a real friendship was like. Oh, man. Um, Yeah.
0: Okay. So I have questions that have nothing to do with uh, music or anything. This is just silly questions. What is your guilty pleasure?
3: Playing video games. Really? Yes. That's awesome. playing video games. <laughs> now, I play Legend of Zelda like crazy. I'm a humongous fan of Zelda. Really, I love Skyrim and a bunch of random games. I'm not super into Call of Duty or any of that. Uh-huh. I've like, played those, but... I'm really into like really nerdy ones that are (laughs) medieval.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. I love it. I love it. Isaac and Anson, my co-hosts will really appreciate that. They're major, major video game fans. And I am just terrible. Like Mario is the farthest I ever got, but Hey, all power to you. It's a skill.
3: Well, (laughs) I will say as females, I found one game that just like is so awesome. Uh-huh. It's called Animal Crossing. Really? I don't know if you ever heard of it. I have oh not. My gosh, it is just so great. I mean, like guys and girls, they all like it. But it's just like I found that like most girls, like if they play a video game, Animal Crossing is the one. Really? Like, it is so good. That's yeah. fun.
0: So what platform
3: can and you and play it on? Out. I play on PS4, which can be kind of a debate for gamers yeah always like xbox one or ps4 <laughs> <laughs> and i like or i would play on my pc or i've been playing the wii u and the switch recently okay so.
0: okay good to know i'll keep this in mind animal crossing if i decide to get into video games i'm gonna yes, gonna seek yes that out. if you
3: ever like want to waste <laughs> as much time as <laughs> possible oh good
0: yeah i definitely need more help with that yeah
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's don't. too bad you don't live closer we could like hang out and you could teach me to play video yes, games for sure. Now it is time for the conversation about optimization obsession, which is not overwhelming at all to try to sum up and <laughs> tackle. Just let me just say, you're
2: going to try to optimize I, I this know. very podcast. That's how
0: it feels right now. So. She has
2: an active word count that I she's do. looking at.
0: <laughs> I also have my stress ball just to keep me down here. <laughs> okay, optimization obsession. What is this? Because I hadn't heard of the phrase until mm. a few weeks ago, and then as I read this article, I was like. Oh my word, this (laughs) explains my entire existence. I
1: knew what this was. I just didn't know what it was called. Yes,
0: it's so helpful to have a name for it. So basically it's this sense that kind of haunts you that there's an ideal life out there. And it's one that you're always almost attaining. You're just on the brink of it, but you're falling short. But it's almost there. Mm -hmm. Like you're just a few products or self-help books or courses away from attaining the ideal lifestyle and so everything in our culture right now is screaming at us that this is what we should be striving for Hmm. for me at least how it manifests itself is we get into these cycles of constantly fixing from our mental health to our cleaning supplies there's always something to fix You're never quite there.
1: It's this thing that's on the horizon that you're always working towards, but you never quite seem to get to where you're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. I think it comes from this good place of understanding that growth is really good yeah, and bettering ourselves is something that ought to be desired. Yeah. Um, But we have this underlying like dread that we're wasting our time anyway. Yes. Like... I think there is recognition of these like time wasters that exist in our society. Mm-hmm. People understand I spend way too much time on my phone or looking at screens or yeah. engaging in things that maybe don't really matter as much as other things Yeah, that it kind of feeds this this sense of dread that yeah. just is an undercurrent to everything else that we do that. Like, am I doing the thing that is most important? Am I spending my time on the stuff that really matters? Yes. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I should be doing that instead. Yeah. So there's kind of yeah. this constant second guessing of the way that I'm spending my
2: time. Yeah. yeah. If I have like um, more than two hour block of time where yeah. there's nothing on my schedule, I don't handle that well. Mm. I think you're dead on Anson where it's like I wrestle with, well, am I spending my time wisely here? Like, am I doing this, this and this? It's not so much of a products as a form of happiness for me. It's more yeah. of a am I working towards the optimal Isaac? Am I reading mm-hmm. enough books on philosophy? Is it okay that I'm watching this movie versus hiking at Devil's Den today? Yeah. That's It's yeah. just bizarre. A Saturday with good weather and nothing on my calendar mm-hmm. could be hell for me. Like, really? <laughs> I mean, that that's truly like, I could be no. in my own like paralysis of what am I going to do today? That's redemptive.
1: Yeah. And I think this can manifest itself in a variety of different ways for different people. Like some people are going to center this obsession around materialism. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to say the perfect vacuum cleaner has to exist somewhere. And if I just read enough Amazon reviews, I can find the perfect vacuum cleaner (laughs) and obtain it and use it to have clean floors. Finally, because I'm embarrassed that my floors are not as clean as they really ought to be. Right. Or maybe it's the work obsessed person who's obsessed with climate the ladder we did a show a while back kind of yeah. talking about that phenomenon where it's like I need to spend all of my time moving up the ladder at work and making more money and yeah. uh, kind of snowballing it into something yeah. bigger you know whether it's career focused or financially incentivized yeah. you know or maybe it's personal growth, you that's know, me. I, I, yeah. I want to read philosophy. I want to do things to make myself a better person because I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. And we probably all have a mixture of all of these things, Yeah, yeah. Uh, but some of us may focus more on some of them than others.
0: Yeah. I would say mine is very personal growth obsessive. And so it, a lot of times for me, it manifests itself as I have like, I, I don't even know like 200 books on my Kindle or something that I haven't read. Mm-hmm. And every time I see one that's like, this will help you fix yourself basically. I'm always looking for the next thing that will help me fix myself because it feels like that's what you do. That's what I should do. And it is an external pressure thing, but it also feels like on top of that, this weird spiritual pressure, like, Mm. well, if I'm being a good steward... I will Mm. figure out how to optimize my life. And if I don't, then God will be unhappy with me. Right. So there's this Mm. constant pressure of I have to make the right decision. Yeah. And I think what exacerbates this is we are surrounded by constant opportunities for Mm self-development and also endless information. Like you never have to waste, quote, waste a moment of your life. You can be listening to French lessons while you're commuting or a budgeting (laughs) podcast. There's a never ending stream of information and availability for how you should be improving yourself. Yeah.
1: And then yeah. the ironic thing is because of that, we end up spending so much time trying to find better ways to spend our time. Yes. Like <laughs> the best way to spend our time is finding a better way to spend our time. Yes. Yeah. And so then we end up wasting so much time trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to better spend our time that we don't actually do anything. And that's right. kind of the irony You're of the whole thing to
2: me. buckets right now. <laughs> I in know. That chair. This is terrible. <laughs> I see.
0: Yeah, and I think the accumulation of all of these things, this endless source of information, and the the expectations, is it just it's just exhausting. Yeah. Because you can literally spend and I've done this; I've gotten stuck on Amazon, spending hours reading reviews to find you know the mm-hmm. perfect whatever humidifier because that's going to change my life. <laughs> so right. it's a huge part of burnout. We're not meant to process and and try to perfect our lives yeah. this way. Yeah.
1: Well, I think you're going to burn out when that horizon that we were talking about is constantly receding yeah. like you're, you're trying to attain something that is always just out of your grasp and if that's the case if you're never getting to the thing that you feel like I have to desperately
2: want to get to yeah then of course you're gonna burn out right? and I think that there's this element of we're all coming from it from the same place of privilege we have our housing need met yes. we've had our food need met Once you have walked through all of Maslow's hierarchy of needs here, your brain is still in this mode. We need to be getting something like there's no way you've achieved total satisfaction here. You have to be looking for something. And I think that when we look around and we see, okay, food check, roof check, 2.3 children, (laughs) spouse. If people, you know, a thousand years ago just said, well, everything's fine now. They wouldn't make it through the winter. Like we have been programmed to constantly gather, constantly get Mm. Mm. And I think once all of the basic needs have been met, that signal doesn't just shut off. We're still looking. There's a bajillion dollar industry on how to sort of mute that <laughs> or yeah. or maybe like offer products to maybe satiate that a little bit. None of it sticks.
0: Coming back to the the what you just said about the like billion dollar industry that this is. Yeah, all of our basic needs have been met. So now we're in this consumerist society where the bar just keeps going up and, and we need more and more and more to be satisfied. It's like an addiction a couple of business school professors wrote a book called Desperately Seeking Self-Improvement. They said, you know, in this consumerist society, we're not meant to buy one pair of jeans and then be satisfied. Mm. <laughs> like, that's not the point. Yeah. And the same applies to this self-improvement craze or the optimization craze. We're being sold on the need to upgrade all parts of ourselves All at once, including parts we didn't know needed upgrading. (laughs) So there's a great deal of money to be made by those who diagnose and treat our fears of inadequacy.
1: Exactly. Crazy. This is an intentional marketing strategy from our culture, from advertisers. There's a guy named... B.F. Skinner, the Skinner box back Mm -hmm. in the 1950s, he came up with this theory called the variable schedule of rewards. So basically what he did is he took lab mice and he created this test where he had levers for the lab mice that they could push. So one group of mice, they push the lever and they get a reward every time. It's consistent. You push the lever, you get a treat. You push the lever, you get a treat. Mm -hmm. And then the other mice, they have this variable schedule of rewards. So for these mice, you push the lever and they don't know what they're going to get. Sometimes you get a small treat. Sometimes you get a huge treat. Sometimes you get nothing at all. And what he found is that the mice who received the same treat every time would occasionally go over and press the lever, take their treat, and kind of go on their way. While the mice that received the variable rewards would press the lever compulsively. They would just sit there and press it, press it, press it, press it, press it, it, because they never knew what they were going to get. And our culture is offering us these types of unpredictable reward systems. So this is why on Amazon, you see things like flash sales on Prime Day, right? Sure, you have maybe a couple things where you can get it all day long. So you don't come away feeling like you lost because they want you to come out feeling like a winner. But man, you really feel like a winner if there was a flash sale For a specific product that you needed (laughs) at a great price that was only available for an hour. And you got it. That's right. Then you are victorious. You won. You beat the sale, right? You won Prime Day. And it gives you that hit, (laughs) like the mouse is getting, of a big reward. And it makes you think, the work that I did to wake up at this random time or check the flash sales literally every hour all day long. Or read all the reviews Mm -hmm. to find the perfect product. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. It actually was successful. I got the thing that I wanted and it made me happy. And then a week later, that high is gone and, and I need, need to another. do it again. Mm-hmm. And I need to press the lever again and again and again and again. Even mm-hmm. if most of the time the increase to our overall happiness is minimal. Yep. We remember those big high moments. Yep, And so we keep doing it because we want another one.
2: There yeah. are several things sitting in our homes right now that we probably couldn't name. That at one point (laughs) we felt like our lives would be complete if we had it. Right. And that makes me furious. Absolutely. (laughs) But it's not just products either.
1: I mean, a lot of these services are doing kind of the same thing. Like there's all these meal planning services, right? And they tell you like you could save a couple hours of your life every week because we'll send you the meal and the recipe. And all you have to do is just kind of put it together. And then you can use that couple hours doing other things what other things am I going to do with that? Two hours? Now, all of a sudden there's pressure to use the two hours I'm saving, right. yeah. not making food to go do something else. Like, yes. should I watch a movie? Is that okay? Maybe instead of doing that, I could get some work done. And I think that the key is that this optimization begets optimization. Right. Yeah. Like every time that we make progress, there's something else to be done. There's another horizon to cross and it never ends. And it accelerates exponentially so as these basic needs like you're talking about Isaac get met like I don't have to worry about eating anymore now all of a sudden preparing food is a waste of time right like our ancestors would have said no preparing food is like the literal most important thing we can do because if we don't do it we die right right Right? but now for us like these things that were luxuries have become so Mm. commonplace that we don't even think about them anymore. Mm -hmm. And then new luxuries become commonplace and new luxuries Mm. become commonplace. And we're always striving for more and more and they get bigger and bigger and harder and harder to reach.
0: Yeah. And I think the cumulative effect of that is disastrous. Like we're discovering this isn't just like, oh, it's overwhelming and it stresses me out. Will Storr, the author of Selfie, said people are literally suffering and dying under the torture of the fantasy self they're failing to become. So. This is leading to increased rates in suicide because Mm -hmm. we all have this picture in our head of the ideal that we are supposed to be, that everything around us is saying, you can be, this is possible. There's this picture in our head and there's this gap. And when we don't reach it, we are just absolutely overwhelmed by depression and guilt and can't handle it. Yeah, Yeah. there's
1: this fantasy self that exists in our minds that we're not able to become. And when we can't become that, we think, What good am I? Yeah. And sometimes that leads to really disastrous consequences. It really does. And that's so
0: sad to me. Like when I research the subject, that makes me angry because it's like we're being fed this lie and we're totally I'm totally falling for Mm. it like all the time. And it's contributing to my own depression and anxiety and all these things.
2: It feels like what we're looking for is maybe sort of defining what optimization looks like versus what growth is and how that maybe works on a different timetable than while I've got a new mixer in my house. So now I can spend that 15 minutes doing this. Growth to me feels like a much more gradual, almost sort of less rewarding process in the short mm-hmm. term, but yeah. something that you can be happy with in the long term versus, you know, that instant shot of adrenaline that okay, I've solved the dinner problem. Now I need to solve this problem.
0: (laughs) I think that's a really good distinction. And I think one word that you could pair with optimization that does not go with growth would be perfection. Mm -hmm. I think optimization has this, this goal of perfection. Growth is more about progress over perfection. It's like, I know I'm not going to arrive there tomorrow, but I'm going to keep making steady, slow progress, but I'm not going to be so obsessed with perfection that I feel like I'm going to die if I don't reach that level. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. I was reading a book called A Field Guide to Getting Lost. It's written by an author named Rebecca Solnit. And she was talking about the concept of desire. Hmm. And so she relates desire to what she calls the blue of distance. So she talks about how like Renaissance painters use the color blue to indicate distance. Hmm. Like if you're In eastern Colorado, and you're looking at the mountains in the distance, there's kind of this like haze of blue and they're really far away. right? And they're way out there on the horizon. And so when these painters were painting a landscape, the further away an object is in the landscape, the more of a haze of blue it has over it Mm. until eventually the things at the very back kind of almost blend into the sky. Mm. And she says, if you were to chase after this blue horizon, the objects that you're seeing would get closer, but the blue horizon doesn't. Mm. The blue yeah. horizon is always way off in the distance. It simply relocates to farther away to tint the next beyond. She says, mm. and so the blue of distance, like desire, is unattainable. Desire, by nature, means that there's something still left to mm-hmm. be desired. Right, so it right. continues to move back even as you move forward. You're making progress. You're crossing plains and mountains and all sorts of things. Yeah. But the blue of desire is still out there on a the horizon. Huh. And so what she proposes is. Nothing more really than just a change in perspective. If the blue of desire is the space between us and the thing that we want, be it a better life, a better self, a literal object that we want to purchase, what if we cherished desire as a sensation on its own terms? Hmm. In other words, instead of climbing the ladder of optimization, what if we just stopped and looked around and took in the beauty of our Hmm. ever blue horizon? So, saying instead of focusing on the destination, what if we focus on the journey? And that is growth. Growth is the journey. Towards that blue horizon, Mm. as opposed to optimization, in my mind, is the destination that we're trying to get to. The arrival. Right. I want to arrive at the thing that I can never arrive at. Mm. Whereas growth is saying, no, I just want to appreciate where I'm at and the fact that I'm making progress, that I'm moving forward. And the very act of moving forward is enough for me. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I like that so much because it puts desire and ambition and the need to get things, whether it's physical items or if it's achievement, Mm -hmm. I think that that frames desire in a better, more positive light, Mm -hmm. whereas the optimization culture is, no, you need to kill that. You need to find Mm -hmm. the thing that sort of like squishes that need for more. This sort of places it in in a mindset where it's, no, the fact that I do want to move forward is a good thing. We can look at that as a positive. Mm. I really like that.
0: So how do we stop feeding the monster? How do we <laughs> stop believing this? There's this temptation, of course, to like optimize our optimization. Habits. Right. right. <laughs> and that's yes.
1: probably not going to work. Yeah, What we probably need to do is read a book yeah. called The Seven Ways that's, to
0: that's it. <laughs> Get
1: Past Optimization. Coincidentally, guys, yeah. it's on my Patreon Obsession. right now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> by that. I
1: mean, but that's kind of the thing. Yeah. It's this like self feeding cycle. And so mm-hmm. to offer this set of solutions would be just one more step in the direction of optimization culture. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is like optimizing our optimization habits. Yeah. And we do that in a variety of ways already. I mean, yeah. even when we try to go the opposite direction, right? Yeah. Like minimalism has become a big thing. And yes. I think in some ways, and I'm not saying minimalism is necessarily a bad thing, but I think sometimes we go, all right, I want to go in the opposite direction of like gathering stuff. And so I'm going to go minimalistic instead, but it's still kind of this optimization pursuit of like, right. okay, well getting all of this stuff didn't optimize me. What right. if I get rid of it all? Right. Maybe gonna, that will optimize me. I'm going to
0: recondo my life <laughs> yeah. and exactly. figure out only the things that spark joy. And so
1: I think that's, what's really difficult about this is when you finally get to the point of saying, what do we do about it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think <laughs> it's probably a lot less about doing stuff yeah. than yeah. it is embracing the journey that we yeah. just yeah. talked about. And, and that means also embracing a truly human existence, like with, imperfections with inconveniences yeah. yes which sucks but <laughs> <Yeah>. for <laughs> but me it's fair. So
2: <laughs> for me it's always figuring out a way to acknowledge the fact that there's always going to be things trying to tell me that i shouldn't be happy with where i'm at mm-hmm. right i as a person born imperfectly mm-hmm. i'm always going to have this desire to want more And to consciously start acknowledging that for me, I think will be big because it kind of gives it a name like you're talking about. It gives it a name of, well, I'm a person. I'm naturally predisposed to advertising like all of us Mm -hmm. and thinking critically about. And asking questions about, is this broom really going to be the difference maker in my life? (laughs) No, it's not. I want that because I want things. That's what I do. I'm here to buy things and then die one day. (laughs) If you're a marketer, that's what you place your audience into. And kind of acknowledging that, owning that and going, okay that's not going to be my source of happiness. Mm. I need to, you know, move on from that. I think that's going to be big for me at least. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to awareness and perspective
1: as opposed to a list of things that we need to do. And I'm going to actually go back to the good place real quick and I'm going to, Try to do this relatively spoiler free okay, just as a disclaimer. <laughs> right. But as you get near the end of the show in the good place, I think they actually expose a fallacy that's related to this optimization obsession. Mm. I think the fallacy that we've kind of already covered about optimizing is that it's unattainable. You're never quite going to get there, even though it feels like you're going to, right? So that's fallacy number one. And I think for the most part, we kind of understand that as we've discussed it so far. But I think there's actually a second fallacy involved here that to me is actually even more profound. Near the end of the good place, they basically postulate that if you were to actually arrive at a paradise or a heaven or a good place, and in this universe, there is no God. If you were to arrive in a paradise with no God, but you could. See, feel, experience, do anything that you wanted to do with no limitations Wow! in terms of time. You have eternity to do it and unlimited resources. Basically, the postulation is eventually you would get to the point where you would voluntarily choose to cease to exist. Yeah. Because you would have nothing left to do. In other words, if you were allowed to actually optimize... You would eventually arrive at a point where you had no reason to live. Whoa. Come to this point where you go, if I've truly optimized everything and there's nothing left to optimize, there's no purpose in living anymore. Yeah. The very purpose in living is growth. Yeah. We were talking about earlier, which means accepting our humanity accepting Mm. imperfection, inconveniences. Those are the very things that give our lives meaning. Like if I could somehow at that point reintroduce limitations, then I might actually have a reason to live again. Hmm. And that's fascinating fascinating to me that like we're striving for this thing, not only that's impossible, But if it even were possible, we might not actually want it. Yeah. If we actually got there, we would go, oh, yeah, this isn't all it's cracked up to be.
2: Yeah. And that pushes the question of what is the end goal here? Do you really, really want total perfection in every realm of your life? Yeah. You can't possibly achieve
1: that. Right. Which is why I think from a Christian worldview, we come back and then say, okay, the one missing ingredient in this postulation about this paradise scenario is the presence of God. And the reason that we as Christians believe eternity is something that will be enjoyed forever mm-hmm. is because we will be bringing glory to God, mm-hmm. which is our greatest purpose. Right. Yeah. And if you remove that purpose from our lives and the only purpose is just to better ourselves, mm-hmm. eventually you're going to run out of things to do yeah. and it's not going to be fulfilling anymore. Yeah. But if our purpose is to glorify God, that growth glorifies God. So that wow. gives us a reason to grow here on earth. And it gives us a reason to exist in eternity yeah. because we're saying it's not really about me or my character. Like, yes, I will be perfected someday. Yeah. But my existence at that point is not about the perfected me. Yeah. It's about the perfected right. God that yeah. I'm going to worship and glorify through my perfected self. Like, yeah. that's my reason for existence. And I know I'm getting like all very no, like it's out good. there. Sp- no, but, no, you're but good. I think this. Really does tie back into this on a very practical level, because yeah. if we forget about all that and it just becomes about making myself a better person right. or conversely, even just accepting my brokenness, like accepting mm. that, that things are imperfect is good. But that's just a start. Yeah, like accepting brokenness is is one thing, but then to move on from that and say, More than just accepting my brokenness, I'm going to accept the fact that it's not me that can fix it. It's not up to me to fix it. Mm. God's the one that's going to come in and fix this for me. Like all of a sudden, this optimization that we feel all this pressure to pursue
0: yeah. I think it could
1: start to melt away a little bit.
0: I think that's awesome. And I love the point that you just made. It's not its not up to me to fix this, which is one of my greatest <laughs> lies yeah. that I believe. Yeah, it's like
1: a mantra we need to just repeat over and over to <laughs> yes. ourselves, isn't it? Like, it's
0: not up to me to fix it. And I put this together just today when I was reading and kind of preparing for this. In Philippians 3, and it's funny, I read this like a week or two ago and I had this moment where I was sitting and I was like, God, I don't understand what he's trying to say. It's not, I don't know, it's not breaking through. And then today all at once, I was like, Oh, okay. I get it. Paul's talking about we who serve God, boast in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, in the stuff that I do mm-hmm. of myself. And then he goes on to list, although I have lots of reasons to be confident in the flesh, like he goes on to list basically the optimized set of things for his time which was i was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews in regard to the law pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law faultless like Mm -hmm. he's like i
1: i checked all the boxes i've I've done the work
0: i have optimized and then he says whatever regains to me i now consider loss for the sake of christ i consider everything a loss or another version the word is like actually rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I'm making Christ. And that's fascinating to me. I always thought that was about stuff, you know, and maybe it is about stuff for you, but for me, it's more about becoming the perfect version of myself. And he's saying, it doesn't matter. That's garbage. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. compared to the worth of knowing Christ. It's so much better than that. so we've figured out how to optimize our optimization <laughs> habits. And we've done we, it. It's
1: done. You it's can over. download our simple seven step PDF exactly. from realfm.online. <laughs> that's right. That's right. $10, <laughs> yeah,
2: that's,
1: Only five easy payments. That's, of right. 999. <laughs>
2: yep. that's right.
0: Okay. No, we didn't do that at all, but I think this is a helpful conversation for me because this is a sticking point for me. Yeah. And so hope it was helpful for you as well. And wanted to end with a quote that just seems perfectly fitting to this discussion from the Lord of the Rings and also from an article on mbird.com that there exists a light and high beauty forever beyond the reach of darkness. Excellent works of art remind us that we are more than just the product of our work. We are made in the image of our creator and our identity is rooted in his work and not ours. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk podcast from Real FM. Catch Afternoons with Anson and Kara live every weekday on Real FM radio. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent or reflect the views of John Brown University, KLRC Radio, or Real FM. Good Bob. we <laughs> same place again very, very now. Bad.